You know, the B-I-B-L-E, you guys know what it stands for, right? Basic instructions before leaving earth. You guys knew that? We're like, no, I'm not. It, it really is, you know, if we didn't have the Bible, uh, we wouldn't really know what life is all about, right? We might run with some man-made motto like the one who dies with the most toys wins. Have you heard that before? Uh, the most uh, money treasured, the most miles traveled. I mean, there's a lot of crazy things that are out there, right? What's life really all about? You know, I still have some friends that I'm reaching out to who say this. They say, live it up, drink it down, party hard, and take it easy. That's their motto for life. You know, I thank God that he set me free from those things. But, you know, uh, it wouldn't have happened unless I had this B-I-B-L-E, the basic instructions before leaving earth. And so what is it all about? What does God require of us? What is our mission? What is his motto? What are the commandments that we need to take heart to? And so today, I know a lot of you here, when it comes to Bible time, you're like, okay, it's nap time. How many of you guys you think that sometimes, right? Please, this is one of the most important Bible studies ever. Ever. So I'm just asking, let's listen to the Lord. Let's concentrate on what we have right here, Mark 12. We're going to read verses 28 through 34. Notice what it says. It says, Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he, Jesus, had answered them well, he asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so the scribe said to him, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. You know, here we see in verse 28 that a scribe came to Jesus. You know, the scribes were considered to be the experts in the law. Uh, they knew the Bible well. And apparently this scribe, he heard how Jesus had silenced all the other religious leaders who had approached Jesus, really just trying to trip him up and trap him in his words. He was really impressed by the Lord. And so... He comes to Christ and he asks him one of the most important questions that can ever be asked. And I believe that he asked in sincerity, like, I really want to know, really, what is the most important question of all? And, you know, when you study the culture, you realize it was a common debate back then. The Jews had 613 commandments, uh, 348 negative, uh, 365 negative, 248 positive. And so they would often argue about which one was the greatest. Some of them elevated laws about the Sabbath as the highest. Others said it was about sacrifices. And uh, 
So they had this debate. They had this humongous question among them. And now they bring it to Jesus. And so again, if you would look at verse 29 again. Notice the Lord's answer that the first of all the commandments is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You know, and if you think about it, the Lord could have, you know, pulled from anywhere in the Bible, from Genesis to Malachi, right? The written truth. He had the whole Bible to choose from. And then for the Jews, there was the, the Mishnah, the oral tradition. To them, they elevated it just as high. He could have chosen anything from there. But in all this truth, over all this time, the Lord Jesus Christ, he narrows it down to one word. One word. And that is to love God with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. He narrows it down to that. He, first of all, in verse 29, he pulls from Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 and 5, the great Shema, where the Bible does say the same thing. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the Shema is actually the first Hebrew word in that passage. It's a, it's a call to hear. It's a call to listen. It's a call to obey. Can you guys say that word, Shema? Shema, so now you know Hebrew, right? And uh, it means listen. It means obey. Shema, hear, O Israel. It was so important to the Jews that they would recite it, the pious Jews, every morning and every evening, Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. They would open up every single synagogue service by reciting the Shema. It was so important to them. When you look through uh, the Bible, it's interesting how they would even take these little pieces of paper and they would write this passage on their Jewish phylacteries, these little boxes that they would wear on their foreheads or their wrists, according to Deuteronomy 6, verse 8, where the Bible says, you know, put it on your forehead. Now again, they, they shouldn't have taken that literally, but they did. You know how sometimes they would get passionate about stuff. But basically what God is saying is that this is so important. You would sign it, you find it also written in the, in the mezuzahs, which are those little boxes attached to the door jams as you enter into many Jewish homes and even all the rooms within it. The Lord, our God, is one. Emphasizing this simple fact, primarily this, that we are monotheists, that we only believe in one God. And the Bible says that over and over again, 1 Timothy 2.5, Isaiah 45.22, where it says there's no one else, there's only one God, Malachi 2, verse 10. And so that's fundamental understanding in the scriptures, the belief in only one God. And Jesus says, here it is, that the greatest commandment of all is to love him, to love that one God. Which, you know, when I read that, and I don't know how you guys feel about this, but when I read that, you know what it does? It makes me examine my life. Like if this is first, if this is foremost, if this is fundamental, if this is the most important command of all to love God, do I? Do I really love God? You know, I have to examine my life every single day. It makes me do that. Uh, do I love him or do I even know what loving him means? And here's another question. How do I love God? 
I mean, how many of you here, you remember when you first met that girl or that guy and you got a funny feeling in your stomach, you know, because you were attracted to them and, you know, next thing you know, you're on the phone for hours and you kind of get these emotional things. You can't eat. Remember those days? I kind of wish I had that still, you know, but I mean, you know, and then we think that's love and, oh, I'm in love. And the girl tells the other girl, oh, I'm in love. And is that really love? It's not, right? We think a lot of times that love is a feeling and so we think, well, I love God. How do you know you love God? Well, because I feel it. That doesn't prove you love God. I go to church. doesn't prove you love God. And I read my Bible. I pray. Those are good things. Again, doesn't prove it. How do we know that we really love God? Well, we're going to see that today. It's so important for us to be able to examine our life in an objective way and to find out whether or not we really love him. But here the Lord mentions four things on, on how we are to love him. He mentions, first of all, in verse 30, that we shall love the Lord your God, he says, with all your heart. With all your heart. Now, what that communicates to us is this word. It's that word volitional. It's a, a volitionally. That's how we are to love God. And that word right there, it means the, the power or faculty of using one's will. If you love God, you will surrender your will to His. That's what loving God with all our heart means. There's that great passage in Acts 13.22. It says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Jesus says he has a heart like mine. Why? Because he does God's will. You know, Proverbs 23, 26, it says, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. And I remember a while back, a guy, he came up to me, he was an older gentleman, and he said, Hey, I learned something from your son. Now, back then, my son was only seven years old, and I guess my son had been talking to him. And my son, he kind of, he shared with him probably something he learned in the, in the children's class. And he said there are three types of people in the world today. There are those who have a heart like Saul's. No heart. No heart for God. And then there are those, I think most, who have a heart like Solomon. It's a half heart. It's a half heart for God. They're not all in. And then there are those like David. And David had a whole heart, a whole heart for God. For him, even though he wasn't a perfect man, we all stumble, we all, you know, struggle. We're not, you know, being perfect on this side of time. But even though he had those struggles, at the end of the day, he loved God. And he came to that place in his life, just like Jesus, who said, not my will, but thine be done. You see, when we love God with all our heart, we will surrender our will to His in everything, the big things, the little things. And then you'll find out really that the little things can become the big things and God will be testing you in the little things to you know, determine whether or not you will ever, ever experience the big things. You know, like, I don't know. I mean, every once in a while I do okay. Uh, yesterday was kind of an interesting thing. The Lord's been showing me this. The Lord's been showing me, pray with your wife, when things are going good. Because when things are going bad, she doesn't want to pray with you, you know? 
You know, sometimes we get in conflict, right? And then I'm, and then I'm desperate. Oh, I should have prayed for her. Lord's all, no, you know, get her in the good times. And then who knows, you might not have as many bad times. So yesterday, a uh, great day here at the women's luncheon, went home. You know, part of you wants to relax and unwind. And next thing you know, the Golden State Warriors are on television, you know? And I'm, and I'm thinking this, man, I want to watch the basketball game, you know? And this is me. I don't want to impose my personal convictions on you. But the Lord just showed me, have you prayed with your wife yet? And I said, no, Lord, but the Warriors are on right now, you know? Because right now the Lakers aren't doing good, so it's kind of like plan B. And so, you know, the Lord just showed me, no, yeah, the, the Warriors are not, are not playing. The Warriors are praying. You better get in that room right now and do my will, not yours. And so it's cool, you know, one of those uh, rare victories. But God has just been ministering to me that, you know, it's, it's about stuff like that. You know, uh, what are you going to do with your life? Well, I'm calling you to be a, a pastor. Yeah, but I don't want to do that, Lord. I kind of maybe thought about making a, a little bit more money or whatever it is, you know, a little bit easier task, and, that, and that's cool. But the, you see, these are, these are times when we demonstrate whether or not we really love God. When there's a conflict between your will and his will, and you choose to follow him. You see, that's what loving God with all our heart means. It has to do with something going on volitionally. Secondly, he says to love God, the love the Lord your God, he says, with all your soul. And that is loving God relationally. You see, the soul is the inner man. It's the inner you as distinct from the spirit, which is dead prior to being saved. And so when you get saved, your spirit comes alive. And after that, you're your body, soul, and spirit. We read that in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. There is a distinction between the soul and the spirit, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And so the way that we, we roll, the way that we operate is interesting that within you as a Christian, you've got a spirit, you've got a soul, you even have the Holy Spirit all within you. And in conjunction, it's all intended to have this relation with God. You know, we have this relationship where he talks to me and I listen and I talk to God and he actually hears my, my prayer. And not only do I, do I talk with God, I, I walk with God in life. It's fellowship, it's relationship, and it's not just that we've met. No, now we're intimate. That's how it's supposed to be when we love God with all our soul. When you love God with all your soul, it's not just an acquaintance. He moves into your heart. And you're not just, you know, roommates, you're soul mates. And you're loving God with all your heart, volitionally, not my will, yours be done. You're loving God with all your soul, relationally. You know, you're paying attention to what he's saying and, and you're crying out to him. You're walking with him all your life. And then we love God, it says right here, with all your mind. And this is something that's done you know, intellectually. And it's interesting, all these things, I know they intersect and it's hard really to separate completely, but there is a distinction within each one. And, and the mind right here, we are to, to love God as, uh, you know, in, in a couple of ways. Number one, as we're learning, you know, we're, 
we're learning new things and loving God with all our minds. We commit to using our, our brains to learn the Bible. You know, uh, today, 2 o'clock, we're going to have a class on how to study the Bible. Maybe you might be interested in that because you're, you're then called and you're challenged to love God with all your mind. You know, before I was a Christian, I didn't really use my brain for stuff like that. I mean, I destroyed a lot of cells using drugs, and the only real interest I had was uh, sports. But after I became a Christian, I fell in love with reading, and I just devoured books and the Bible. I did my best to harness the little bit of brain cells I had left to study it with diligence, all truth even, which is God's truth. I went to school, majored in philosophy. As a Christian, I wanted to be able to answer questions the world might throw my way, like what's the origin of life? What's the meaning of life? And is there life after death? I just knew that I had to love God with all my mind. I had to learn about my Lord. To study the Bible. You see, this is what we're called to do. You know, they say you learn something new every day. You guys heard that saying? And so, you know, here we are. We learn stuff. I learn about Microsoft Word. Oh, I never knew that accidentally come across that shortcut or whatever. A while back, I like to make breakfast with my family once a week. And so my wife threw me for a curve because I asked her, what kind of eggs do you want? She said, poached. Poached. <laughs> and she does. She always uh, orders poached eggs when she's in the restaurant, but she's never done that to me at home. And so... You know, I go on YouTube and I learn how to make poached eggs, man. <laughs> you know, so, you know, we can learn new things, right? And uh, the other day I learned something new. I learned what you call an alligator in a vest, an investigator. You guys knew that, right? <laughs> so you, see, here's the thing, okay? You guys already knew that. I didn't know that. <laughs> you know, we learn new things, right? But, but man, it's so cool when you have a heart and you have a determination to love God with your mind. And you're like, you know what? I am going to learn how to study the Bible. I am going to commit to reading books of truth. I'm going to learn about my Lord while I'm here. Everything I can, I want to know him. You see, this is how we love God. You know, you're learning when you love him with your mind, and then, and then you're thinking. You see, when we love the Lord with all our mind, we surrender all our thoughts to him. You know, 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You know, there are some people, they're one way physically, they're a completely different person mentally. Those are the guys that look at pornography. They have images in their mind. Those are the guys, you know, and... Whatever, they're gals that are dictated by fears. For whatever reason, they allow these thoughts to come in and then to settle down, to take root, and then to grow, and then to ruin their life. And have you heard that saying, if you sow a thought, you reap an action. If you sow an action, you reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you reap a character. And if you sow a character, you reap a destiny. How did that affair and that divorce, and the destruction of my family. How did it happen? It started with a thought. With a gal that you met at work that you fell in love with. You fell in love with her and you had this 
you know, this mental affair that led into things that have ruined your life. See, we can't allow those things to take heart. When you love the Lord with all your mind, it's, it affects your, your learning, it affects your thinking. No, don't misunderstand me. I realize we can't prevent certain thoughts from racing through our minds because we live in fallen bodies and the, the demons, they shoot fiery darts our way. But we can choose not to hold on to those thoughts or to dwell on those thoughts that are not of the Lord. You know, I've told you guys many times that you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can prevent it from building a nest there. That's kind of how it is with thoughts. And we are to love the Lord with all our mind, and so we set our minds on things of the Spirit, the Bible says in Romans 8.5. Colossians 3.2 says you set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. I tell you what, and this is a real simple thing, you go looking on whatever it is, Amazon or on the internet, you go window shopping, and you start looking at all that stuff, eventually you're going to want to buy it. You know, it's just a matter of, look, the Bible talks about how if your eyes are bad, your whole body's bad. And that's why the thoughts that you allow in, you know, be proactive about them. Make them positive. I love Philippians 4, verse 8. It says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, Whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Most of the translations say, think about these things. And so the Lord, he calls us to love him in this way. With all our hearts, that's volitionally. With all our souls, that's relationally. With all our minds, that's intellectually. And then with all our strength. And we are to love him passionately. You know, is that how you love God? You know, not lackadaisical love, not a lazy love, not a weak love, not a waning love, but a strong love. That's the first and foremost commandment. You know, if you've ever had to do something where you felt like you had to exert every single muscle in your entire body, where you were required to give everything you've got. Maybe it was when you were in a fight for your life. That's kind of how it is. You know, I think back to my wrestling days. It took all my strength, every fiber of my being not to get pinned. I got to win thinking of my team and my coach. And that's a sport. This is life. All of our energy, all of our being to love God with all of our strength. You know, not too many love the Lord like that nowadays. Sometimes our love starts strong, but then we leave that first love. The Bible says in Revelation 2, verse 4, and Jesus said in Matthew 24, 12, that because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. You guys, don't let that happen, man. Don't let that fire die. Feed it. And let it grow and let it become strong. In the Song of Solomon 8, verse 7, it says, Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. And we live in the world where so many waters and all the fallen floods, they want to 
drown out and extinguish that fire of love that you have for God. Don't allow it to happen. And that's applicable to romantic love, but it's also applicable to our love for God that when it's real and strong, that many waters won't be able to wash it away. And so, you know, the Lord gives us some things on, on how to love God. But let me move on to, well, then how do you know that you love God? And we've kind of touched on a couple of things, but let me just share with you what the Bible says. Number one, obedience to God. Obedience to God. John 14, 15, if you love me, the Bible says, keep my commandments. Jesus said in John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And then John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. You know, I have a daughter, and one day, who knows, man, maybe she's going to come to me and say, hey, this guy, I met this guy. I'll be like, who, what's up? You know, what's going on? And, and she might say, yeah, dad, he told me those three words, I love you. And I'd, I'd, I'd tell her straight out, that doesn't mean nothing. That don't mean nothing. How does he treat you? Does he really love you? Does he put you before himself? Does he really love you? And we can say we love God, but let me tell you something. If you are living in sin, you do not love God. I'm not talking about stumbling. I'm talking about people who are, who are committed to sin, you know, presumptuous sin, repetitive, defiant, resistant, like I don't care. That person doesn't love God. We read that here. They might say they love God. They might sing they love God. But when you love God, you obey him. I, I say that not to condemn anyone here because maybe there are some here who have been struggling and living in sin. I'm telling you this, man, you got to know how much God loves you and wants to rescue you from that because we love him only because he first loved us. And you got to understand that even if you are living in sin, he still loves you, but he wants to rescue you. And you got to make a choice of whether or not you're really going to love him. Turn from that sin, run from that sin so that you might show your love for him. I say that not to condemn you, but to inform you, not to beat you up, but to lift you up. I mean, he loves you. Do you love him back? The way we prove it is through the life that we live. It's through a heart of obedience. That's one of the ways that we prove we love God. And I'll tell you what, it, it kind of segues into the second way we prove we love God is love for others. Because Notice what Jesus says in verse 31, and the second like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You see, when I, every morning, I got to be honest with you, you know, I, I get up and I don't want to do it, but I get on the scale. Some people say, oh, don't weigh yourself every day. Well, you know what? I just learned that if I'm not careful, man, things can get away really quick. And so, you know, I, I, I look. I, I look at the numbers, you know. I examine the evidence. What's going on? Where am I? And it's kind of the same way with the Lord. Like, do you love him? 
Well, how can I tell? Get on the scale. Examine your life. Is there a pattern of obedience? Is there a heart of obedience? And then number two, do you love others? You know, this guy, when he came to the Lord, he didn't ask him for the top two. He just said, what's the first commandment? But Jesus attaches it because he says, in one sense, you can't have one without the other. You can't say you love God and hate your brother. It's impossible. You know, we got to love people, you guys. We can't be a monk in a monastery shut out from the world. No, if we love God and obey that first commandment, we realize the second, like it, Jesus said, is that we are to love our neighbor as ourself. You know, one guy said, love of neighbor is a natural and logical outgrowth of love for God. And these two commandments belong together. They cannot be separated. And so, here's the thing I want to share with you, though. You know, it doesn't in any way weaken the first commandment. First commandment, you love the Lord. And no one comes before God. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37, he who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You can't love your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. You cannot love them more than God. Your love will be tested if there are any rival thrones, and you're going to have to choose. But, you know, having that settled, the priority of our love, we got to know that we have a responsibility to love others. And that's why Jesus brings it up without even being asked. It's so important to God. Uh, we read it in James 2.8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. Galatians 5.14, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13, 8 and 9, it says, Oh, no one anything except to love one another, for he loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four have to do with God, the last six have to do with others. You see, that's the first foremost, fundamental, most important commandment to love God with everything you got and to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, here's the question. You guys are learning this, hopefully. How do you know you love God? Obedience and you love others? Well, here's another question, though. How do you know you love others? Because I feel it. I can't eat. I'm in love. <laughs> no. You know, when you, when you love others, it's funny how it works. There's this care. There's this concern for them. You put them before yourself. There's a, a, a just a, you want their well-being in two ways. Number one, spiritually. And then number two, uh, physically. You guys remember the most famous passage in the whole Bible, John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You see, God loved us 
and he cared about our spiritual condition, not wanting us to go to hell. So he gave his son. Now here's a question for you. Put your name in there. I'll put my name in there. Manny loved the world so much that he did what? What did I do? What can I do? What can I, how can I make a difference so that they would hear the name of Jesus and they won't perish and have everlasting life? You know, Manny loved the world so much that he gave his life to know the Lord and make him known so that others won't perish. What about you? What are we doing? We say we love people. We have to care for them spiritually. And then, not just spiritually, we have to care for them practically. You know, when you think about loving people, I will say this. Number one, don't hate. And number two, do help. Do help. You know, if I love God, I can't hate anyone. And I'll do my best to help as many people as I can. I can't hate one person, not one. You know, 1 John 4.20, it says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? You know, I don't hate, but I, I do help. 1 John 3.18, it says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. That Greek word translated deed, it speaks of a work, a labor, an action. It's good deeds done for others. And so, you know, it's cool when the Lord just lays it out like straight and simple. You know, life is not complicated. It's not sophisticated as a Christian. You do have to examine your life. That's a little bit difficult to do, whether or not you really love God. But it's worth the examination. Lord, do I love you with all my heart? Have I surrendered my will, all my soul in this relationship? With all that I am, Lord, do I love you? And that manifests itself in a life of obedience and loving others. I love them spiritually. I love them practically. And if they're hungry, I'll give them food. And if they're thirsty, I give them drink. If they're naked, I'll give them clothes. If they're homeless, I give them housing. If they're sick or in prison, I visit them. If they're an orphan, I help them. If they're a widow, I help them. That's how we love people. The Lord says, you love your neighbor. Well, who's your neighbor? Well, in Luke chapter 10, similar teaching, the Lord gave that story of the Good Samaritan. And what the Lord basically said is, your neighbor is whoever I lay on your heart and whoever I put in your path. And it's a fascinating story, and it really kind of, it kind of brings us all together because if you remember the story, what had happened was there was a Jew who was beaten and fell among thieves and he was left to die on the road to Jericho. And as he's lying there dying, there, a priest comes by. But the priest continues on. He doesn't help him. Maybe he thinks he'll be contaminated. Maybe he thinks it's dangerous. Or maybe it's just because he's got too much work to do at the church. 
Same thing with the Levite. He's supposed to be the helper to the priest. Well, maybe he's got it together. He doesn't. He sees the guy there lying, dying, does nothing. We've got to get to church. And then finally, a Samaritan comes by. And you guys probably know the background there. The Jews, they hated the Samaritans. They were their enemies. But this Samaritan, what did he do? He reached down. He tended to his wounds. He you know, used his own clothes. He put him on his own you know, Horace, he takes him to the hotel. He pays for him. He says, if there's anything else, I'll tell you what, I'll take care of it. Jesus said, that's the one who loved. See, a lot of times I think what can happen is we can get into our little Christian cubby holes and we can get into this superficial religious relationship with God and God wants to bring us down back to planet Earth. And he says, you say you love me. What are you doing for them? Spiritually and, and practically. You see, this is what it's all about. You know, we're looking at this right here. We see that the scribe then thought Jesus said, great job, you know. Verse 32, well said, teacher, you've spoken the truth. There's no other God. There's only one to love him with all the heart, all the understanding, the soul, the strength, to love one's neighbor as oneself. Hey, that's better than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And he was right, you know. Religion's got nothing to do with it. But then look at what the Lord said again in verse 34, that when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You know, and, and as I was reading that, you know, I just thought to myself, wow, this uh, scribe right here, he, he thought it was cool what Jesus said. He agreed with him, but he wasn't saved. You know, he agreed with Christ, but he didn't come to Christ. I mean, you hear Jesus' answer to the question uh, where it's all about love and maybe you're all in to those commandments, but a more important question is, are you in the kingdom? Do you really know the Lord? You know, Jesus said, you're not far. Imagine one day you die, you go to hell. You know, you've been going to church all this time. You know, and you read your Bible once in a while. You might turn on a Christian station every, you know, Saturday or Sunday, you know. And you maybe memorize a few verses and you got the t-shirt. And then you die and you go to hell and you find out you were that close to getting saved. And I remember one time Paul was witnessing to King Agrippa, sharing with him about self-control and righteousness and the judgment to come. And, you know, Agrippa, he said in Acts 26, 28, man, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Almost. But not there. I want to encourage you guys today, if you find yourself almost a Christian, you know, or, you know, uh, sometimes I talk to people and they th I'm thinking about it, you know, maybe next week, you know, <laughs> I'm like, man, stop thinking about it, man, run to the one who loves you, made you, died for you, all you got to do is turn from your sins and trust in him, receive the gift of everlasting salvation, don't wait until next week because you might not have next week, today is the day of salvation, I pray that today, you would be all in the kingdom.